This is Multinew Media. You're listening to Multinew Media, connecting business and technology. I'm your host, Chase Raz. Welcome to Multinew Media. I am Chase Raz, the host of this show, and with me is another host of this show, Christopher Woodward. Hi, Chase. Hi, Christopher. How are you? We're recording this in advance, so I can't really do any kind of timely reference about a holiday or a month or anything like that. So, Yeah, if anyone's thinking, you know, this episode sounds strangely like a few episodes ago when Christopher and Chase were sitting outside talking about multinewmedia.com, the, the new uh, display of the site, uh, that's because we're recording on the same day. We're, we're doing a twofer here and getting some things out of the way, but... Uh, we don't want that to distract from our topic today. We have uh, what I think is going to be a very interesting topic for everybody who listens to this show across all different divisions, whether you're a programmer, whether you're a business manager, whether you're an entrepreneur. I think this topic appeals to everyone equally. So Christopher, what's, what's the topic we're walking through today? Today we are going to go through, it's one of our, our list shows, which everyone seems to like. We're going to talk about our top five tech startup companies to keep an eye on, tech startups to watch as we go into or go deeper into 2017. So I've got a list of five. You've got a list of five, as always. Mm -hmm. We have not spoken about these lists prior to recording, so we don't know if we have any doubles here or not. We don't, but I see you looking at my screen trying to find out. I'm looking right now, and I don't see any doubles, so that's good. good. So we'll we'll actually have a list of five and a list of five and no no piggybacks. Good. Now, I I do want to say this. Last time we did, I I don't even know if we were in a top five or if we were just going back and forth on a topic. I took the creative freedom of uh, the, the... always on host of the show to go first, and so I think it's only right if we defer to you to uh, start this round of our top five tech startups. So I'm going to jump off with something near and dear to everyone's heart, and that is Wi-Fi, connectability, if you will. Um, What are the two complaints people always have? One, they can't connect, Yeah. or when they can connect, they want to be faster. Faster yeah. and faster. And for those of us that grew up like we did in the days of yeah, AOL. Yeah, lucky, lucky to get a, you know, what was it, 24? Oh, 24 was gold. Yeah. Now, if you were 14.4 14, 4 was great even. Now, now we're in this world where if we can't download a movie inside of five minutes, we get angry. Yeah, no, know, I think so. I have an old 1200 baud modem somewhere in storage. I don't know. So the, the, the wave of the future is coming to us from Starry. That's Starry. S-T-A-R-R-Y dot com, like Starry, Starry Night. And, of course, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, Starry is a company that was launched uh, last year by the former CEO of Aereo, Chet uh, Kenoja. And basically what they're doing is they're selling Wi-Fi equipment, and they are setting up, are you ready for this? It's going to deliver speeds of up to one gigabyte per second. Nice. Imagine getting a full movie downloaded like that. Just like that in a matter of, what, one, two seconds? Um, The main piece of equipment that they're selling is an antenna that they call the Starry Point. Uh It basically hangs out your window. So this is completely wireless? This is completely wireless. From there, you hook up either your own wireless receiver to the antenna, or they're now creating the Starry Station. So they'll sell you one if you don't They'll have sell you one, one for $350 sure. right sure. now, low, low price. Not, that's not bad. Um, and what it also will do is it will actually tell you on the device, uh, right on your screen, how fast your internet is performing 
at that time. So there's no need to go to another third-party yeah. source to check out the speed. Um, it's being backed by some unknown venture capitalists, uh-huh. along with First Mark Capital, Tiger Global, Quantum Strategic is involved in this. And it's been launched in, I believe it's now five different parts of Massachusetts, including downtown Boston. This is something we're going to have to look into because here in Central Florida, we've had a lot of our um, our you know internet providers either consolidated or bought out. So Verizon became Frontier and Bright House got wrapped in with Charter into Spectrum. And there's a lot of questions about the types of service we have, but we see um, this going on in the Boston area. There's one out in California that I keep hearing about, and I can't remember the name of it, but uh, Gigabit uh, uh, Ethernet as well. Just crazy types of speeds. I, I wonder how long until we get something like that here. Well, I think the obvious growth plan, obviously, if it continues to work out well in Massachusetts, this is something I see major metropolitan areas gravitating to first. Obviously, it's launching out of Boston, so Boston, New York, I could see Chicago, LA, then Orlando, Dallas, Houston. You know, you're going to see the cities I think, gravitating towards it first, especially areas with large metropolitan communities where there's a tech community. Yeah, and I think that's where, you know, Dallas is going to be above <laughs> above priority of Orlando a little bit. Uh, I, I like that. I, you know, I have something a, a little bit of a uh, uh, different point from uh, from that one for my first choice. And I chose Faraday Future. Now, Faraday Future is an automobile company that's trying to rival Tesla. Uh, it was. It's. It's also a San Francisco company, I believe, but it has major Chinese investors. Now, before anybody starts laughing at me and say, "Isn't this Faraday car? Isn't this the one that you know is is dubious with their finances at best?" Well, absolutely. First of all, nobody seems to know who owns or runs Faraday. No one knows. No one knows who the CEO is. We know who some of the high-level executive uh, managers are, but we don't know who's behind this company. The, the the you know really just gets messier from there if you talk about the Chinese investments in it and the their inability to secure some of the loans they have, but it's not necessarily that I'm picking this Faraday Future uh, company because of their vehicles. It's simply because of the idea that someone is at least halfway successfully uh, mounting a challenge to Tesla. And if this unknown company, maybe it has some big corporate backer that's going to be revealed and we're all going to go, oh, great, it's the next big thing. I, I think we all doubt that at this time. But the idea is if, if this relatively unknown company can challenge Tesla, then what about GM? What about Toyota? What about all of these other established companies? And I think I'm picking Faraday Future as a company to watch, not because I think they're going to be successful in the long run, but because I think they represent that there is a definite challenge to the status quo in the electric vehicle space and that this is an area prime for investment uh, this year and in the next couple of years. Well, and obviously the fact that we don't know, we could probably take some educated guesses, which might, might not be too far off the mark. Obviously, there, there's some competitors involved. Yeah. Right? There, there are some people that they don't want to put their name on it yet because they don't want the attention being put on it yet. Um, it's interesting you mentioned Tesla, though, mm-hmm. because next one up on my list, and, and again, my, our lists are not in order here, we're not ranking today, um, is something that has been developed by some former employees who have left Tesla. Mm. And in fact, this team is made up of former employees not only from Tesla, but also some former Apple employees 
and some former Google employees. Sounds a lot like the Faraday team. Well, let's see, what are these folks up this to? This is Otto. Otto. Otto is self-driving trucks. Ah. Note, not self-driving cars. What they've done is they're developing some sensors and some software to basically retrofit current trucks into smart trucks, into autonomous fleets of trucks. And the idea is that they can take any truck that was built post-2013, so you got three years of trucks that have been produced, yeah. and they can turn it into a smart driverless vehicle. And are you ready for this? For the low, low price of $30,000 right now. You know, wow. You know, I actually thought you were going to say something a lot higher than that. So it is it is kind of a low, low price. If you're saying you can remove, I'm sure this is only legal in a very few small markets, um, probably somewhere in Europe, South America, and maybe some places in the U.S. But for $30,000, if you can remove um, some of your drivers, not saying that that's what I want to see happen in the industry, but if you can economically, that is a competitive price. Well, and here's what's interesting. And their website, of course, is uh, ot.to, auto. Um, here's what I find interesting. Once again, the funding behind this. Now, again, I mentioned these are people that came from Tesla, came from Google, came from yep. Apple. Certainly, this could be a self-funded project. But guess who they've been working on testing out the trucks with? I have my fingers crossed for a BMW or a Mercedes, but I don't know. Budweiser. Budweiser. I love it even more. So using the name Uber Freight, they have actually been testing out and testing it out with the cooperation of Budweiser. So think I like about this. this. You've got one of the largest beverage companies in the world here. Yeah. And they're interested in this technology enough that, while again, I'm not saying they're funding it because yeah. it has not been revealed, they're at least saying, hey, let's do some tests You know, I, I like to see that because in my early, early, early career when I was still an undergrad, uh, I worked for Anheuser-Busch when they were still an independent company. I, I, I was so worried that as they got purchased, uh, that a lot of that innovative spirit would go away, and it doesn't look like all of it's gone. So I, I really do, you know, as funny as that can be, here's, we're going to deliver alcohol, don't drive drunk, and by the way, don't even drive the alcohol to the store in order to get drunk, right? Making a multi-layered bad joke there. But I, I like the spirit of innovation that they have in delivering the product. So we'll see what happens. Again, it's one of those things where we talk more and more about you know, self-parking cars. You know, when will we see that? Well, now we've seen that. Now we're talking about the driverless car. Well, here's the next step up. Forget about driverless car. Driverless trucks. And the idea that – and I was thinking about this in terms of the events business. Yeah. You look at a major concert tour. You look at uh, the circus. You look at anything like that where they've got a fleet of trucks. If you could eliminate half the drivers by having every other truck – Absolutely. This, you know, you're saving costs. And yes, I already hear the posts about putting people out of work, but welcome to technology. But, you know, we'll, we'll definitely find uh, other types of employment. Somebody's got to maintain the systems that make these driverless systems go. So I'm going to stick with, as we, have a, as we have a club going on behind us, I'm going to stick with uh, sort of the theme. At, but we, I think we're sitting way too close to the airport, if I can put that production note in at the moment. Um, I'm going to stick with the automobile space, though, and I guess this would apply to the airplane that's flying overhead at the moment. But a company called Gravikey Labs, not Gravity, right? Gravikey, with changed the T to a K. This lab is, uh, or was, a part of the MIT Media Lab, and you know that's where they deal with fabrics and textures and um, composites and materials. 
Uh, but Gravity Labs broke out of MIT a while back, and their key product is an ink for printing, regular old ink, that's made from air pollution. So the idea that they can take pollution out of the air, or one of their more common methods for doing this, is hooking up a unit to the exhaust of a truck, of a ship, of a plane, of some type of vehicle that goes vroom vroom, and take the, uh, the carbon out of the, out of the exhaust and turning that into ink. I think this is, I don't think this is a long-term solution, but it's an absolutely beautiful and elegant way to deal with the reality of pollution to at least be able to turn it into something that's worthwhile and, and helps, helps make another product without being environmentally uh, or more environmentally damaging. Now, I will say that I'm not necessarily choosing this company because I think that pollution ink is the next big thing. What I like about Gravity Labs is the fact that this isn't their only product. Uh, some of the other things they're doing have absolutely nothing to do with ink, nothing to do with pollution. And you can look it up at gravikey.com, and I'll put that link in the show notes. But I, I really want to contrast what's happening with these newer wave of startups from what happened back with Google and what happened back with, I mean, just any other tech company, even with Yahoo back in the day. Those companies were so focused on one key institutional strength. And everything, everything that spun out from it was still orbiting around that centralized product. Companies like Gravikey, it's, it's a free-for-all. It's how can we innovate is the question, not how can we support the one business unit that we set out to accomplish. It's diversification through technology. Absolutely. And I think we're going to see more of that in our tech startups. I, I think it's great and investors are looking for can you do one thing and do it well. But I think in the 21st and moving into the – I mean when we're super old men and moving into the 22nd century, hopefully we're alive, fingers crossed, uh, I think it's going to be more important to be diversified from the beginning and have a competent team in place that can do almost anything than it is to do just one thing really well. Uh, and now saying that, of course, now I'm going to point out a company that is right now just looking at doing one thing very well. All right. But it, it ties in again to the automotive industry for a moment here. Uh, and I'm talking about Pearl, PearlAuto.com. That's, you know, Pearl is in Pearl in the Sea, P-A-R-L-Auto.com. This is a group of ex-Apple engineers. And as you know, there's a popularity of modern cars with this whole backup camera. Well, what they've done is basically they've introduced a product. It is a license plate frame, like mm -hmm. the novelty license plate frames you see everywhere, yeah. that you can put on your car that has cameras built in and will then transmit like a rear view camera to your phone. Okay. They've also produced a uh, magnetic phone mount to put in your car so you can put your phone there. And basically the idea is that it can turn an old car into a high-tech car. Yeah. But, but here's the big key to it right now. Obviously, you're just saying, okay, it's, it's a backup camera. If you buy a new car, you're going to get a backup camera. What's or, yeah, video? you can install one in an existing car. So, yeah, what's the differentiator? Think of this for a minute. Let's say you've got a classic car. Mm -hmm. And the last thing you want to do is be drilling holes right. in the dashboard, replacing the electronics, putting any kind of holes yeah. in the back of your car. This allows you to basically modernize your car without doing anything structurally to it, no wires are being run. You're essentially just putting a license plate holder on the license plate, yep. a magnetic holder on your dashboard that, again, will not damage or cause you to do any kind of alterations. Put your phone on there. How many people who have the funds to be driving a classic car wouldn't mind paying 
$500, which is the price right now, yeah. to have now the backup camera put on the car as well, using it through the phone. And the plan is, in the future, to have it offer a lot more than just a rear-view camera. But that's what it is right now. Again, Tap into the computer, maybe. Very, you know... Basically, the idea is it's going to take your dumb car and make it a smart car. Yeah. Very early stages of this startup right now. So I, I think I see the opportunity for a lot of people to be negative on this one and think, well, you can already put a, a you know a license plate frame, uh, backup camera, and put a little dash-mounted um, display. But I think I like this idea of routing it to the phone. Not you know a couple episodes ago we had Mark Christ back on. Uh, of Detroit Muscle, and he's a performance guy, so he works with all of these older and classic cars and really revs them up, and, and what can we do with it? Now, I did see a vehicle that he took an older Mustang that he had owned, and through um, uh, a magazine he had been working with in the past, they completely gutted the interior of this thing and made it super nice, and the entire, uh, not the dash, not the readout, but the entire entertainment center was nothing but an iPad that could be removed from the vehicle. So I think this is going to be preferential some people really want the classic to stay intact. Other people really want to modernize it and make it high tech. But this is that great type of product that lets you do almost whatever you want. If you want to have the backup camera go to some central iPad or other tablet in the middle of your vehicle, or if you want to be you know, emulating what Ford's trying to do and have the complete dash-wide screens, you can do that in your classic or you can do that in your car. But if you just want it routed to your cell phone, then you can do that as well. I really like um, sort of a recurring theme on the show recently. I like the modularity of this. You can do with it whatever you want to do with it. And I think that's why your company's selection here, uh, Pearl, you said, is Pearl Auto, uh, Pearl Auto. I think that's why they may be someone to watch. If they get the idea of the level of modularity and they get the idea of the diversity of what people can do with this technology, then they're definitely someone to watch. So do we have another auto one or are we moving away from cars now? I'm going to move away from cars. Um, I'll come back to things that move in just a little bit, but I want to go to real estate now. Um, there is a company called Open Door at opendoor.com. And this is, um, I, I'm 90% I'm sure this is a California company. I don't know why we end up talking about California so much. I'm saying that facetiously. Of course we know why. <laughs> We're trying to bring some of that here to Florida, but it's, it's a long, long, hard haul trying to do that. Uh, but Open Door, their basic premise is you want to sell your house. How long does it take to sell and how much are you going to be able to get out of it, right? These are all the questions you have in your mind when you're selling a house. So what if I came to you and I'm pretending to be Open Door here? What if I say, I guarantee you right now I will pay you X for your home. I'm going to take that same home and flip it and sell it for more. By flip it, I don't mean, you know, I'm going to go in and renovate it and modify it. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. But I know it's worth more on the market, but you need a guarantee you need a closing right now. So I'll offer you X number of dollars, knowing that I'm going to sell it for more. Would you take that offer? Some people are going to say no. Other people, if you're motivated because you're moving jobs, you're moving with your company, um, recent life change, whatever the case may be, some people really need that guarantee. So I think Open Door is a company to really, really watch because I, I just, I know it, I feel it in my bones, I'm sure a lot of other people do, there is a market opportunity for a guaranteed price on the house, an instant sale, and people are willing to sacrifice a little bit of their equity uh, in order to have that speed. It's almost the CarMax model turned into real estate. Mm -hmm. Those that don't know, CarMax model, of course, is the price at CarMax for their, their cars on their websites, and if you go to the dealership, is the price. There is no negotiating. There is no up and down. 
that's it. That's the price on the car. Um, some people like that because they don't want to deal with the haggling. They don't want to haggle. Some people will recognize that maybe they could have gotten a cheaper price somewhere else. But again, it's the ease of the transaction. Yeah. And I can see that being very popular, especially for people who are relocating, you know, maybe out of state, uh, you know, and they just, they don't have the patience or the time to deal with the hassle. And, and you know, we're both homeowners. We've dealt with that hassle. Yeah. So the idea of being able to, to, to kind of streamline that, make it easier, yeah, I definitely think that's a company to watch, especially, again, as you see, you know, people relocating. And I, I think the numbers have gone up over the last year of people who relocate per year per capita in the United States now due to work and business. So. People are definitely more fluid than they used to be, so it's someone to watch. So, so what do you have next? Now I'm going to get serious here. Oh, I mean, no. This is one that I don't totally understand in some ways, but I find awesome. So it's a new company mm-hmm. called Grail, uh, grailbio.com. They are they're a new company, but they're coming to us via an old friend, Illumina, the makers of DNA sequencing okay. technology. So thought they sounded familiar. Illumina, who of course has done so much in, in, in medical research and whatnot, they got together with a group of very wealthy people, including this guy named Bill Gates. You may oh, have heard I, of him. I think we may have. Um, and 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 Arc Venture Partners and Sutter Hill Ventures and whatnot. Illumina being the majority stakeholder, uh, and they've formed this new company called Grail. What Grail is doing is they're essentially looking at a way that they could measure what are called circulating nucleic acids. So instead of DNA, we're talking CNA, or I believe in medical terms it's referred to as CTDNA, circulating deoxyribonucleic acids. Sure, it's all above my pay grade. Yeah, well, (laughs) the idea is that inside of these circulating nucleic acids are the genetic features, these little tiny fragments from which cancer tumors are derived. Ah, so the idea is that they were, they're looking to create a non-invasive, universal mm. cancer screening test that would enable you to find in these circulating nucleic acids the genetic codes that could eventually lead to cancerous tumors. The idea is that you would actually be able to determine if a person is going to be basically growing a tumor or having cancer before they even get the cancer. You know, that's interesting because I I follow cancer research for a number of reasons. My wife works in the field and then I'm interested because of um, my ketogenic lifestyle in that field. And, um, you know, I've, I've seen so much research recently saying that we've treated cancer as this nuclear disease that is in the DNA. And what modern research appears, and I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the expert on this, but what I keep seeing is that this research is coming out saying it's not in the DNA. It's elsewhere. It's, uh, you know, it's something like this that gets triggered later in the mitochondria and the, and the sort of power units of the cell. And so I think it's really good that even if this doesn't completely pan out, we know that cancer research is um, not producing results as fast as we want, hence our, you know, Joe Biden moonshot for, for curing cancer. Uh, so I really like to see money going into these diversified options that start challenging and saying, well, what if it's not in the DNA? What if it's somewhere else? What if, you know, what if it's here that then leads to there? And you want to talk about money right now, uh, according to the sources I've looked at, they have a funding of over $100 million from Bill Gates and That's his own wonderful. sources. So again, you know, occasionally, you know, I'm always a big fan of talking about stuff like nanotechnology, its uses in medicine. Yeah. Something like this, the idea that if you could actually determine before the tumor 
the probability that that tumor is going to show up, and you, you could actually be ready for it or be able to or to really cut it preempt off, it. Yeah. You know? Uh, through just, exercise, uh, through diet, through lifestyle change, through lack of stopping smoking, whatever it takes to stop whatever that. it is, medications if needed. Again, just the fact that there's those options yeah. that are now possible. And again, is this going to work? Is this going to pan out? Um, certainly it has a lower probability rate than some of the other options we've talked about today where there's actually working models out mm-hmm. there. Um, but just the fact that Illumina has partnered with, obviously, some very wealthy people – uh, yeah. To make this company happen is interesting. And again, they're available over at uh, grailbio.com. Check out what they're doing. Grailbio.com. Uh, I want to stay medical for just a moment. And I'm going to talk about a company called Zipline. And I'm going to I'm going to take back some things I said before. I was joking about California. Now, a lot of these companies come out of California. And Zipline's no different. It's a San Francisco company. But just how Faraday had major Chinese investors and Graviki um, operates heavily in India, even though they were an MIT uh, Media Lab spinoff. Zipline is not really operating here in the United States. Now, first, what Zipline does is they deliver urgent medical supplies by drone. Uh, I just, I can't stress how big that is. Let's say you need some life-saving medicine right now. And right now means within the next 10, 20, 30 minutes, the next hour, two hours, maybe you need oxygen and you're out of oxygen, uh, in a remote location. Zipline is a company that will deliver that to you, uh, via drone. So what's, what's even bigger, um, than the fact that these drones are, uh, delivering medical supplies is really the fact that they're delivering anything at all. If we look at Amazon, if we look at Walmart, if we look at all of these companies, whether they're American or, or not, they're not delivering. They're not in operation. Now, Zipline is in operation, and uh, let me take a look at the map here. They're operating mainly out of Africa, uh, Tanzania, and Rwanda. Two test beds right now. But it's not just this company going alone. There are a lot of other players that are making zipline a company to watch now if you if you're hearing me and you're thinking what i would initially think oh great here's a company doing medical delivery somebody's going to come in and bump them off right somebody's going to figure this out they're going to monetize it better than an independent could but here's the type of partnerships that zipline has been able to uh develop so first of all zipline has a partnership with ups united parcel service here in the united states has a partnership with jerry wang the founder of yahoo has a partnership with Paul Allen, the co-founder of Microsoft, and also gets funding from the UK Department for International Development. Wow. I mean, this is the type of partnership, this is the type of sponsorship and the type of investment that any tech company could only hope to have, right? Working with such a diverse range of companies and organizations, whether they're, uh, whether they're NGOs and nonprofits or whether they're for-profit companies. But the biggest key to all of this Zipline is one of the companies, because they're operating in foreign markets, they take that operational data and guess where they feed it back to? Straight to the FAA. They tell the FAA, here's what works, here's what doesn't work, here's how we think you should you know, make informed policy decision on drones. And all of this then gets to be translated at some point in the future back into the North American market, into the European market. So these test beds in Africa, first of all, are doing absolutely wonderful things, delivering medical supplies where most NGOs, uh, mainly operating out of the United Nations, can't even reach. But then we get all of this data to help spur on an international movement with drones. That's that's a win, 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 win. Yeah, situation. it's a win on all sides. It's a win, obviously, on the charitable side. It's a win over there on that, but also such a win because again, this is one of the big topics for 2017. You know, drones. 
Mm-hmm. What are they going to be allowed to do? What what are, what are the rules? Where where does it invade people's privacy? Where does it become a, a danger? Um, you know, so again, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Zipline was actually almost on my list. Okay, good. I I'm actually glad we had some had, over. I had Zipline on, and it became a choice between Zipline and Grail. Yeah. Because I didn't really want to do two kind of medical things. I was looking at Zipline more from a medical standpoint of delivering the medicine. Well, this worked so out. So I went with Grail, and I'm glad I did since you did Zipline. Um, so now I'm going to go with my last topic, which is probably the least technical of my tech startups, if you will. Uh, it's really just an app company, but it's a company that has found a way to utilize a often just totally ignored resource, and that is hotel rooms. Now, obviously, you and I both commute a great distance. Yeah. For for one of our one of our many gigs, I Sad, say. sadly, as the tears um, fall from my eyes, and long drives. While while many you know offices have, have, have put nap rooms in and things like that, um, there is a, a, a basically a four person team in San Francisco. That wait came wait, up, I'm sorry. Did you say San Francisco? San Francisco? We're in California wow. again. I know. I haven't heard San Francisco at all with any of these companies. They form this group called Recharge. And what it is, is they've created an app, they're partnering with hotels, that allow you to basically rent a hotel room per minute or per hour. Now, take, now, the, take the CD thoughts <laughs> out of your mind out. for a moment here. <laughs> so this is, okay. this is re-energizing an old business model, but for a All different right. reason. The idea is that you could get a room and you could pay either $0.66 cents a minute or $40 for an hour. That if you needed a room to either take a nap or, yeah. here's one, let's say you are exercising, you're taking a run, you're in a race, something like that. You and need you a just, shower. You just want a place to shower and change. Yeah. You don't need a full room for a day or just find a quiet place to do work, yeah. something like that. So obviously, yes, there are the questions about what some people would use this app for. Um, they actually have built-in rating systems and whatnot, and, and the hotels can also rate the guests. Oh, that's good. Like that. Um, Height Regency in San Francisco mm-hmm. is one of the places they're testing this out. And they are thrilled with the results. They rolled it out, I and they, they found $40 an hour for unoccupied space. It's the great. majority of business travelers check in late in the evening. A lot of people check out early in the morning. Early in the morning. There are many daytime hours where those rooms yeah. are empty. The rooms are still treated like they would any time. They're cleaned after the guests leave and want to, no matter how short the stay is. Right. So you could argue that some hotels may some see labor cost increases. increased labor cost there. But it's that labor cost versus if you're getting $40 for that hour yeah. versus how much are they really paying those people cleaning the rooms per hour? You know, that's a good point. And so maybe on an hour after benefits and everything else, you may even be awash because there are other costs than the labor that the hotel is incurring for having the labor in, in place. But if you get a couple at an hour, a couple at two hours, three hours, four hours, you, you're, you're definitely profitable on this venture. Uh, Even if you break even, that's a win for the for the hotel. Former Google engineer Harry Chung is one of the people funding this venture. Uh, they got two point three million dollars right now into making this thing grow. And again, it's one of those. Imagine, if you will, and again, you know, uh, I, I don't think I'm embarrassing us by saying we're both kind of runners. Kind We've of done yeah, races, we're, we're, sort of. We're semi runners. We're semi runners. You know, there have been times when I've been many hours from my home doing a run. The idea that I could have a hotel room for two hours oh, God, to just be great. 
Go grab a shower, <laughs> lay, lay on the couch, lay yeah. on the bed, watch TV for 30 minutes, whatever, before having to take the long drive back to my house, something like that. And again, for business trips, people taking day trips, things like that, where they just need a couple of hours. You're doing a long drive. Yeah. You just need, um, in the music industry, day rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always been very popular. You know, band rolls into town. They get a day room because they're going to check out before they go to the gig. Then after the gig, they're on to the next town. But many hotels, for whatever reason, their day room rate has basically become the same as the overnight rate. So the idea of something like this would would pare it down a little bit. Again, it's not a revolutionary concept here like some of our other tech startups. But it's an app. It's testing very well with the high regency in San Francisco. And something I can see more and more people gravitating to the same way they gravitate towards other travel-based apps. Yeah, it's fairly, from what I understand, this is fairly common in uh, big cities in Japan, and it's been profitable there for some time, especially for business travelers. Uh, You you know, I I just think that anytime you can move an industry to an on-demand basis, I think you're going to get, you're going to get really good results. I mean, on-demand just makes more sense. There's a reason we do that in manufacturing. There's a reason we do that in retail and supply side of, of uh, product and service delivery. It just it makes good business sense. So I guess we're down to one. We're down to your last one. So For my last pick, I chose a company called Prospera. Now, almost everything, as we've been joking, has been California, California, California. And we've talked about China and India and, and Africa as sort of secondary markets or places for investments or places for trying uh, these technologies. But Prospera is really sort of a machine learning and an artificial intelligence company based out of Tel Aviv in Israel. What's interesting is they're sort of the inverse of everything we've talked about. If you own a farm, let's say, in Israel, you're probably not going to be able to get Prospera services. They seem to be only available in Spain, Mexico, and the United States right now. But the idea that Prospera, and they're at prospera.ag.ag, if you're going for that agricultural spin, is they're taking AI and machine learning and applying it to the growing of produce. So not only are they looking at things that a, a lot of intelligent farms are doing, speaking of Japan, referencing them in this episode as well, um, where in Japan they have entire factories producing uh, lettuce through automated systems. Uh, but the idea here is that's, you know, the same nutrient delivery systems, the same type of soil hydration systems. But the difference with Prospera is they're using video cameras as well and reading the input to make sure that the plant in real time is healthy. So to speak, it's happy, right? <laughs> Just kind of putting it there, looking at the coloration of the plant, looking at any discoloration, any type of infection that may be. So really taking all of our intelligent agriculture and moving it to the next level. I mean, we know there are GPS-driven uh, tractors out there and, and other types of equipment, but what about a system that's constantly monitoring plants, making sure they're happy, healthy, productive, and get the maximum yield? And so I really think that a company like Prospera is someone to watch. All of their competitors are companies to watch because agriculture I mean, we can go through these cyclical phases in technology where agriculture is cool and it's this human industry and it's always going to be high tech. But then we go through these phases where we get that kind of agriculture's backwards and we start thinking that, no, nobody in tech is ever going to look at agriculture. I think the biggest thing for folks who are looking at business technology to realize is that agriculture is always or should always, maybe I'm being a little bit preachy here, should always be a high tech field. It should always be one of the most high-tech fields. And so seeing a company, and I know it's, it's, there are other companies out there doing this, but seeing these companies out there 
really marrying artificial intelligence and machine learning with agriculture, with this thing that feeds, literally feeds all of humanity, that's just a beautiful thing to me. Well, I mean, there's it's the hierarchy of needs, right? You got to eat. You have to have food. You have um, to. I, I love this company. I love the idea. Of, one, it, it reminds me, of course, of, of you know, of Epcot, of, of Disney and their, you know, farms of the future and whatnot. And yeah, we got a Florida reference somewhere, somewhere in this in episode. This. Uh, the interesting thing about this, though, as well, is when you just look at it from the perspective of if you're monitoring the plant, you're monitoring right. the needs of it, the food, the water, whatnot. Think about the waste you'd be cutting back on when it comes oh, yeah. to overfeeding, overwatering, mm -hmm. wasting water, wasting, especially, I mean, obviously this is launching in Mexico, uh, Spain, and the U.S. right now. But you think about countries where you have a limited water supply, all right? The idea that you could use this technology to grow your crops, mm -hmm. but not waste water by overwatering. Not waste water, and then the, 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 the runoff polluted water that you can't salvage from those types of operations. Uh, here in Florida, one of my clients is a phosphate giant, international phosphate company. And here, uh, Florida's running out of phosphate reserves, and a lot of the operations are moving to places like China and Saudi Arabia. Well, you have different socio-political systems, shall I say. And if you are a, a phosphate business, if you're in the water business, if you're in any of these businesses that really drive agriculture, imagine what you can do if the nutrient delivery is much more targeted, much more precise, precise and not wasted at all. I'm not saying that this is a good thing. We don't necessarily want to see prices rise, but you could elevate the price for fertilizers. You could elevate the price for nutrients for plants because then you would still be spending less per tomato or less per apple or whatever else unit you're growing. Going back to that win-win situation from before with medical delivery, get this win-win situation with agriculture. The economic benefits are there, obviously. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, obviously, it's, it's based out of Israel. Um, yeah. You know, Hopefully they'll open up satellite offices in Spain. They, they do. I, you know, if I if I remember from my research, I know they. I think they have an office in Spain, and I think I think they have one in the United States. I could be wrong on that. But uh, interesting, and once again, I find interesting how our picks on this topic have ranged from kind of the more uh, what's the word I'm looking for convenience based mm -hmm. to something that could have revolutionary changes. Absolutely, you know? it could change the world completely. So once again, it proves that technology kind of runs the gamut. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, over the course of this year and into 2018, where these 10 companies go. And if they grow, if they get bought out. Um, if they go bankrupt? If they go bankrupt. What do you think? 50% bankrupt by next year? I think 50%. Uh, and they'll be all the ones I picked. I think 50% <laughs> of these companies will be absorbed by a bigger company. Hmm. Um, obviously, you know, someone like Grail could, could just take it over and put their name on right. it too. But uh, I think half these companies will belong under the umbrella of another company by the time uh, 2018 rolls around, uh, should they be successful, or even moderately successful. Yeah. All right. Well, Christopher, thank you for joining me on this topic. I think, uh, I think uh, we both came up with a really good top five list, and that, through the power of two hosts, gives our listeners out there 10 companies we think they should watch. If you have feedback on any of these companies or if there's any companies you think we forgot to mention, just visit multinewmedia.com. Check out the uh, the link for this particular episode and add the comments in the comment box. Let us know what we should be taking a look at and, uh, and we, what we should be featuring on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.